On this episode of Against the Grain, Tua is starting for the Dolphins. What? Beep. We are cutting against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Now your host for Against the Grain. Against the grain. Here's Andrew Perloff. Against the grain. Welcome to the Against the Grain podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Perloff, a.k.a. McLovin from The Dan Patrick Show, a.k.a. The Pearl, a.k.a. Pearl Drops for when my three-point lands on your head. Mario, are you looking at me? Marvin, you know what I'm talking about. That's a new initiative. I haven't heard uh, In college, when I was a JV basketball player at Dartmouth, my nickname was Pearl Drops. Because I could, you know, in college, you could shoot. Marvin, I know what you're doing. Like, because you shot like 100 times a day. That's all we did was go to the gym. So I could really shoot. And Pearl Drops, you guys are looking skeptical. Yeah, I don't believe that. You're going to have to. I'm going to need a second source on that one, Andrew. Marvin? I believe you. I just don't know who would come up with that nickname. Yeah, you're right. It's pretty bad. Okay, let's jump into some NFL topics. During the show today, we're taping on Tuesday. It comes out that Tua Tungavailoa is going to start for the Miami Dolphins over Ryan Fitzpatrick. My initial Twitter reaction was outrage. How can you bench another Ivy Leaguer like me? I went to Dartmouth, in case you didn't know. Ryan Fitzpatrick, they blew out San Francisco. He was 22 of 38, 350 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Then they shut out the Jets, 24 nothing. Then you bench him? Strange. But then some people I respect just completely shut me down on Twitter, like destroyed me. And, well, Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus is like, you got to think long term. And I like to consider myself an analytical guy, like I kind of dream of working for Pro Football Focus, and they might be right. The other thing is, I mentioned on the show today, I've been watching Moneyball over and over again on Netflix with Brad Pitt. Yeah. So I'm all about ignore emotion, go with the analytics, and I I think, too, is a smart move here. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I'm not much of an analytics guy, but just looking at it from, like, the outside looking in, why would you risk his, his future? I mean, he's still kind of young. Fitzpatrick's been, you know, he's been good. Why would you put him in jeopardy? Maybe, you know, they're, they're not going to go anywhere this year. Well, I okay. Think. Here's a few reasons. What's it's all about Tua. All that matters for them. Not nothing that happens this year matters. It's all about winning a Super Bowl with Tua when he's under his first five years under contract. That is when you win a Super Bowl in the NFL. Look at or at least you go to a Super Bowl. Jared Goff and the Rams, Carson Wentz and the Eagles, even though Foles jumped in. Anybody except Tom Brady, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. You get to the Super Bowl and, and DP says this all the time when the quarterback is cheap. So you only have a limited time window with Tua, so you got to start developing him now. And they must think that playing him is going to develop him more. Also, when he got in the other day, that one longer completion he threw was pretty sweet, dude. Tight spiral. A couple other reasons. You, you say, what are they going to do this year? But how do we know? I mean, Brian Flores is a competitive guy, their coach. That division is not great. You know, New England just lost 18-12 to the Broncos at home. I know that was a weird game because they were coming off COVID. The Bills have looked vulnerable. Maybe they win this year. But the the bottom line, the other thing, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I've watched a lot of him this year. He's been, he was good against the Niners, but the Niners are a weird team. He's been mixed in other games. He's thrown a lot of picks that have been dropped. Yeah, Marvin. So my only question was, are they playing him because he was a first-round draft pick and the ownership and the GM is like, look, we drafted him high. Let's play him now yeah. instead of waste him for a year. Absolutely. I mean, if you, we've seen that a couple of times where guys who hold out and kind of develop in the system are a lot more successful, it seems like. I mean, you see what Rodgers, Mahomes, 
Okay, okay how many guys? For you. Yeah, all right. I know Mahomes. I knew you were going to bring up Rodgers <laughs> and Mahomes, Carson Palmer. That's not what happens in the NFL anymore. Everybody plays immediately. Everybody. Joe Burrow looks like he's been playing for for eight years. I mean, he is twenty seven or something. He's different though. He's different because he's old. He came from uh, JV NFL, the SEC. Oh yeah, that's what Tua came from the SEC too. Yeah, he was hurt. I'm I'm just skeptical about Tua because he's he was hurt. Well, I'm a he's huge, had that history. I'm a huge Tua guy. I think Tua is awesome. Marvin, you're with me. Oh, absolutely. I would. He is a stud. I think he is Dwayne Wade reincarnated. Regarding like his relationship that he's going to have with the city of Miami, I think he's going to be the next icon. Well, are you freezing you, cold takes? I'm here, but well, okay. It's funny you say that. Because another Twitter thing that happened to me was Joe Shad. Joe Shad, who is, uh, uh, was at ESPN, he's a big, uh, big Dolphins guy. I don't know if you guys know him. Anyway, he was saying that this is the new LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Dan Marino. I mean, come on. The dude, has to t- he's taken how many steps? How can you compare him to LeBron already? Don't you think that's ridiculous? Well, it looks like he's becoming a little bit more, to your point, I guess, where he's, or to Marvin's point more so, that he's becoming this pop culture person in Miami. He, right. he released a, a video or shares a video with Rick Ross today or something. No, I hear you, but still, if you're going to compare him to Dwayne Wade, LeBron, and Dan Marino, that's just too high. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, I'm with you, but I just think that he's going to be a pop culture phenomenon yeah. and he's going to ingratiate himself. Like Mario just said, he did a video with... Rick Ross and he does stuff with more people that are, you know, Miami icons. And I think he's going to play well and put them in a spot where they can compete much more than, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I think they're thinking long term anyway. And they put a first round draft uh, pick on him. So why not? I got a question for you. You've met him. You met him at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Does he have that like star quality oh, when he walks yeah. into the room? Oh, yeah. No, but he's tiny. <laughs> There's yeah. no doubt. He's a normal sized dude. I think you're bigger than him. Really? Uh, I don't know if he has a star quality, but he's certainly got that likable quality. You know, I don't know. I'm not a good judge. I, I'll tell you real quick, like, I think we're all in consensus. And you guys, like, Dak Prescott is just the coolest. He walks in the room, you're like, oh, I want to hang with this guy. Russell Wilson is unbelievably nice, but he's not like, but he hasn't put on any airs. He's just nice. Uh, who else is like, Burrow was cool, but a little bit, he wasn't quite as loose as some of the other guys. Um, Tua was really, really nice. Most of them are really nice. There was one who the backroom guy said was not as nice that he got on camera and then was Mr. Nice. I won't say who he was. If you guys guess on the first try, I'll give it to you. This year's Super Bowl. I can't tell you who it is because I don't want to hurt getting him on the show. Gardner? I know. I can't tell you who it is. Okay. So uh, every week on Against the Grain, we do three hot takes. And today's guest, by the way, Mark Sessler, NFL Network. You guys are going to love this guy. He is hysterical. NFL.com, around the NFL podcast. But three hot takes. My first one I already did here, that Tua was a smart move. I know. Believe me, my first instinct was you can't bench Ryan Fitzpatrick. You're going to win this division. Tua is a smart move. You win a Super Bowl in the first five years, and they just think that playing him now will be better. I, I know it's a difference of opinion, and if you say sitting him will be better, it makes sense. But also, they see him in practice, so we'll see. And if he gets hurt, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is right behind him. Second hot take. Mario, I know you're going to be in on this. Carson Wentz is playing well for the Eagles. He is. He is, right? Like, all right, they, they lost to a good Steelers team. I mean, I know they made a crazy comeback. Yeah. Same thing happened last week against Baltimore. And Baltimore, there was a point in the game where he had zero yards. That was deflating. 
But then the thing with Carson Wentz, and I, I keep saying this on this podcast, if he stands in there, takes a hit, or if he runs forward, they're going to do well. So he started to run. I, I think like he's getting way too much flack. That You saw on Sunday, he threw a pass to John Hightower. It should have been a long bomb. Then he threw a perfect touchdown to Miles Sanders. Sanders turned the wrong way. He's not getting any help. His receivers are out of nowhere. His offensive line is a complete joke. They're just backups. It, they're backups. So he almost beat the Steelers. Well, he didn't almost beat the Steelers, but he was competitive with the Steelers or the Ravens, arguably two of the top five teams. With this group around him, so the hot thing, though, is Jalen Hurts came in, and he looked good, too. So what do you do if you're Eagles? How do you get Jalen Hurts involved without hurting Wentz? To Wentz's credit, it doesn't seem like it bothers him. What do you think, Marvin? Do you play him, and I hate bringing this name up, Taysom Hill? Well, well, okay, why do you hate bringing that up? Why is it that everyone on Twitter kills when the Saints put in Taysom Hill, but they love when Jalen Hurts comes in? No, not like nothing against Taysom Hill, but they're oh, like, what do you mean? Oh, we're putting in Taysom Hill like he's the future quarterback. He's 30. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think it's not like him specifically. It's more how people perceive him. Like, all right, so when Drew Brees retires, you know, we got this young stud. And, okay, maybe compared to Drew Brees, he is young. But, you know, I'm just like, in, I think he is so athletic and so talented. And I think Jalen Hurts should be used the way they use Taysom Hill. Like, kind of get him in some shotgun, some, yeah. uh, I want to call it catfish, some uh, <laughs> bobcat, whatever bobcat. you want to call it. Or you might call it wildcat. Wildcat. <laughs> Charlotte bobcat. I like it. And you're right, they are using it like Taysom Hill. I think the connotation be around uh, Taysom Hill is he's already gotten paid. He hasn't really started any games, and say, I mean, all you know, uh, Sean Payton has made him to be all but the starting the future of the Saints. So I feel like that's why he has that bad connotation around him. Jalen Hurts is like this young guy. Right now, things aren't going well in Philadelphia, so they're trying to look for any hope. Any no, hope. I think it's because people saw Taysom Hill in college and he wasn't good, and everyone likes to think they understand what makes a good NFL quarterback. And they said he wasn't good, so therefore they decided he's not good. And yes, he has not looked great at quarterback. He's a good runner. He, his throwing's been a little inconsistent. But the dude, I saw him throw a 30-yard pass and catch a 50-yard pass in the same game. He should be getting more. <laughs> he's an interesting athlete. I don't know if Jalen Hurts can do any of that. Although I do like, I think Hurts looks pretty promising. All right, last against the grain take. Guess who's going to take the most heat at the end of this Cowboys season if it doesn't work? I'm just curious what you guys think. Mike McCarthy. Marvin? Mike McCarthy. Oh, I guess it's not against the grain. This L is going to be on Mike McCarthy. I thought that was like I thought people were going to go after Dalton or Dak or what were you going to say? Jerry? I mean, yeah. no. no. Jerry. Jerry owns the team. All right, so is it too early for McCarthy to be on the hot seat? No, I don't think they'll fire him midseason. Because hot seat implies, what are we, week six now? That he'd be gone before that. But I do think, you know, I think it's possible it'd be one and done. It just looks bad. And his defensive coordinator, Mike Nolan, looks lost. I, I think it's all, it's all going to go on him. Because it's not going to go on Dak. He was hurt. Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, what are you going to do? You paid him. There's nothing to do. And Dalton was in a tough spot last night. He, you know, he's a $3 million free agent. So it's not going to go on him. I think it's all going to eventually land on Mike McCarthy. Yeah. No, I agree 100% with you. Um, I mean... I guess they have injuries, right? So on both sides of the ball, they have injuries with uh, – they've had injuries. They've had, you know, most prominently Dak. But, I mean, he's the one – he's the big piece here that's changed. And No, no, no. The whole offensive line went out. They're drafting – they've undrafted first or second-year players at both tackles. You're but, not going to win with that. But Yeah, but even before that. Yeah, but, no, but that's been going on all season. Even with Dak, 
first of all, Dak, yeah, everyone's like, well, Andrew Brand tweeted out last night that Dak got MVP votes after how bad Dalton looked. Dak was one in three, and also 90% of those yards were when they were down by three touchdowns because the defense hadn't done anything. It, it, the whole thing is a mess. Jalen Smith looks awesome, and he's so fast. I saw him get blocked into a ground by a slot receiver yesterday. I don't understand what's going on there. Yeah, so Something's what, weird. Yeah, what is going on? I have you no have idea. these a bunch of stars there. Like Jalen Smith is, you know, he's a top five talent coming out of college. Everyone keeps telling me, watch out. Well, he got hurt, and then they got him in the second round. Yeah, yeah. Everyone says Randy Gregory is going to come as like a force of nature. Apparently, he's blowing up every practice. But so is Alden. Alden Smith's playing great too. Demarcus Lawrence is a ninety million dollar man. Like, how are they not getting after the quarterback? The quarterback is as safe as could be. It's it's baffling. All right, we're going to get into this and a lot more with. NFL Network's Mark Sessler right now. All right, Mark, what was your instant reaction when the news came down that the Dolphins were going to start Tua? I'm surprised that they're turning around and starting him. Um, the bye week makes some sense. I, I'm These rookie quarterbacks typically don't get the redshirt year. Fitzpatrick has been deadly accurate and fun to watch. So maybe there's some there's an air of injustice that you're pulling Fitzpatrick. But I feel like Fitzpatrick's also the kind of guy of anyone in the league to be like, dudes, I get it. I get what the what mm. the journey here is. So, you know, I I I I, I want to knowing the some Dolphins fans, some of them that have gone through a billion years with no quarterback. I mean, it's up there with like pre-car Raiders and Browns pre-Mayfield <laughs> level of not having a franchise quarterback. I think it is time to see what he has to do. And I like the idea that it's a bye week. I don't like the idea that he's dealing with Aaron Donald um, coming out of that. Oh, get out of here. He, Aaron Donald, out. Uh, uh, he jumped on Alex Smith's back and didn't hurt him. The rest of the Rams are the most gentle defense you will ever see in your life. Did you see what Debo Samuel was running through them? I just got to argue with Dan about this. The Rams is a good spot. You're in L.A. They're not fearsome. They're not going to get to Tua. They're a very kind sports town. We'd like to yes. treat our opponents kindly. That part is absolutely true. <laughs> I mean, I you know, Aaron Donald, I would say, is not always kind. He has a bit yeah. of a mean streak. We'll have to see what comes out against Miami. If you get past Aaron Donald, though, you're in good shape against that defense. That's all I'm saying. Um, okay. I remember this made me think you're a Cleveland Browns fan. Do you remember when Johnny got his first start? It was about 10 games in, and Cleveland was on fire. I have a lot of friends who are Browns fans, and they're like, it's happening. The franchise has arrived. You know, the, this transcendent superstar. And they got destroyed by the Bengals, like 34 to 3. I think my point is hype is not always delivered. It, it well in Cleveland's case, it 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 they, there's a cottage industry of hype not delivering, and it typically is surrounded around young, overly drafted quarterbacks. And I'm not putting Mayfield in that in that world, but with with Manziel, there was this intense electricity around him. And you know he had a similar start against the Panthers, where you came away from that game realizing, oh, he was uh, you know incredibly fast and able to dart away from defenders. In college, at tech, you know, in the, in the state of Texas, but here you are playing the Panthers and certain Bengals players, and it's not happening. And you could tell right away that the blueprint under center was a disaster. Now they had Brian Hoyer at quarterback that year, and they got with Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator just enough out of Brian Hoyer before you could tell that the dam was about to burst, and it kind of <laughs> did. And so they were, you know, I think that you know the front office and ownership said, "Let's go Manziel," um, and the results were utterly disastrous. And it really never improved with Manziel. And the problem with that was that the week before and after games, I mean, talk radio would light up 
in every possible way that you could to destroy Johnny Manziel. And it was just the Browns fandom is always lack of success on the field, coupled with um, crippling embarrassment in between games. Does it affect your whole personality when you're a Browns fan? Do you, do you walk around in the fall just like your head down just a little bit? Oh, I mean, it, it definitely does because I think you it, it, the reverse happens where you go to Boston and a bunch of Patriots oh. fans walk around thinking – Actually, you know, I, I am downloading mm. the smarts of Bill Belichick. I can go be, I'll go to my workplace and be Bill Belichick and run, you know, my department yeah. as a uh, supervisor the way he does, which is highly toxic and annoying, right? Oh, I, Browns and, fans are the reverse. And if you even bring up Deflategate or anything, like all of a sudden they're like, they're um, famous attorneys who are, they're Atticus Finch ready to break down like the perfect, what was it, natural gas law or something. They just immediately jump on. They get so angry you can't even talk to them. Yeah, they're, they're, they're untenable. Um, but yeah, from the reverse, I think that there is, um, it, as the Browns fan, I would just say you're kind of, you're, you're accustomed to expecting the worst. And it, and it starts with the team. Um, and it branches out to your real life. Now, I, it's funny because when you run into a Browns fan that's like 22, and there aren't a lot of those people at this point because kids don't grow up watching, you know, total embarrassment jobs for a decade plus, but they seem to be a bit, a little bit less. I think if it started for me with like the drive and the fumble, um, that was during my childhood. Mm. Your mind is altered when it comes to sports. You are, you're always looking around the corner for the next iconic um, botch job. Oh, I'm an Eagles fan. So you're talking. Yeah. So Carson, they they were in the Patriots Super Bowl. And remember the last play Tom Brady threw up a Hail Mary and they kind of like pass interference with Gronk until that ball was on the ground. And like until about a minute afterwards, I didn't believe it really happened because I'm like, this can't really happen. Like the Eagles can't really win the Super Bowl. Something's got to go wrong. What is that sports mentality? Well, I think it's just it's built up when you're when you're treated um, poorly as a fan, and then it goes into other parts of psychology. Because I know a couple people, you know, the dad that like moves to a new town. He was like a Giants fan his whole life, and yeah. then suddenly he's like an Arizona Cardinals fan because he moved to Phoenix. Which I, that kind of thing, I, that doesn't vibe with my personality. My thing was like the Browns are bad. Um, the minute I jump ship. 20 years into this, that's when they'll get good, and I'll be left by the side mm. of the road rooting for the Chargers or something. So. It's like I'm dug in. Um, I'm loyal. This speaks well of me that I stick with them. But in in actuality, the fan is supposed to experience some enjoyment at times. Why did we sign up for this? Um, so it becomes this psychological, uh, you know, minefield that you're dancing through and, and typically not successfully. So you listen to the Dan Patrick show, and we appreciate that. Seton O'Connor, who's on the show, diehard Yankees fan, big New York fan, marries a woman from Boston. Then it starts slowly. Hey, uh, did you see that Edelman catch the other day? Oh, hey, that was a nice home run by Mookie. All of a sudden, he is just Mr. Patriot. And he even sort of quietly abandoned the Yankees for the Red Sox, but won't admit it. Big Celtics fan, huge Kyrie fan. So, like, is that is that allowed if you marry into a Boston family? Well, I mean, I think keeping your wife... Um in a, in a pleasant state mm. is one of the smarter moves that a, that a, that a person can make. Um, so from that angle, I think it's good strategy, but I think, you know, there have to be moments when he wakes up in the middle of the night, um, kind of wondering if he's being, you know, you don't want the woman to change you too much. Also, you want to have the vestiges mm. of youth and who you were. Um, so I, I think that would be ripe for some, some intense questioning. Now the other phenomenon that's happening, and I don't know if you've seen this, 
the New England fan who's also trying to root for the Bucks now, but sort of covering his bases by rooting for both teams. Because you see Cam, because they're into Cam too. Now, it's just, to me, they're phonies. There's just no way around it. Yeah, that's a confused individual, and I would I would yeah. stay away from them in all aspects of life. Um, they're they're yeah. trying to also have everything at once, yeah. and they're unable to part with the past. And um, you know, I, I share some of those um poor qualities too, but they share it in bunches. So I would I would stay away from that person. Yeah, it's it's hard. I have a I don't know why it is. I have so many friends from Boston. I'm from Philadelphia. Now, Eagles fans is a whole another uh, thing altogether. Okay, diving into the actual Browns right now, uh, Baker Mayfield. Every, it's like a completely different quarterback every week. I see some plays where people, like the experts, slow-mo his form, and his feet are all over the place, and his arm is all over the place. But then I see throws where he scrambles to the right and throws a dart 30 yards down the field. Who is Baker Mayfield? Well, I think he's, I think he's both right now. And I, I really, I really um, agree with the idea that it, you have no idea what you're going to get from kind of drive to drive to quarter to quarter to half to half. And that's a lot of young quarterbacks. I mean, I could point to five or six others, but the problem with Baker Mayfield, I think a little bit, it's it reminds me a little bit of Jimmy Garoppolo because our first sample size of Baker Mayfield in 2018, when that team was just playing loose with nothing, nothing to lose under, under interim coach Greg Williams, who will probably play that role again in New York, <laughs> Baker Mayfield put on a show that put us into a place um, watching quarterbacks in general, thinking the sky is the limit. And then he comes out last year and everything was a disorganized mess with that team. He is much in a much better situation with his coaching right now, but they spent the off season redoing his footwork. Um, I think he's in a scheme that he's still learning. He's still learning to see the field. And when he is challenged and when he is kind of scrambled by a smart defensive coordinator, you see everything break down. So, you know, in a game and we can get into the Steelers game, but like coming out of like the Bengals game on Thursday night, a couple of weeks ago, you know, I'm walking around town thinking we might have something here <laughs> yeah. because everyone is confirming that to your point on Twitter. It's like tweet by tweet too, where you can isolate certain Baker Mayfield plays and you see that accuracy. You see the arm strength. You see what he sees where he nails someone downfield on like a 25-yard out, and it looks beautiful, and you think, we have a quarterback. But then there's games like the Steelers game where everything breaks down so comprehensively that you question the floor all of a sudden. It's not the ceiling I'm worried about. It's the floor. And so yeah. I, 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 it really is um, – it's a drama because he's making it dramatic. And it go, you know, the, that's separating it entirely from the personality of Baker Mayfield mm. too. So – I don't know if you know, so I'm pretty open about it. I'm close with Case Keenum, and I'm supporting Case Keenum to play at all costs. I was disappointed with what happened when he got in there, but I, I don't blame him at all. Like, First of all, it's always weird what happens at the end of the game, but the Steelers, and I watched very closely when Case was they just could not block. And then the uh, Bud Dupree was just pinning his ears back. So it happened to Baker, too. There was just, you know, sometimes this happens, and I think we saw a little bit of it with Andy Dalton last night, and we've seen it a lot because of the injuries this year. Sometimes a quarterback just drops back and the pressure is too much. Like, can, can you count that as a reason for Baker Mayfield struggling? It certainly seems to be affecting him and a lot of other quarterbacks. Well, he, he's, the consistent aspect is he really struggles under pressure, which yeah. is, you know, most quarterbacks are going to be less effective under pressure. But I saw a thing where they, the Steelers um, went after him on 47% of his dropbacks. Right. And that resulted in an interception, four sacks, and in, in like 40 something yards. Yep. So they had the 
perfect alignment, the perfect weapons to take care of Baker Mayfield. And, you know, Joel Batonio, their left guard, has been one of the most consistent left guards in football, hasn't missed a game. It's like he basically drank the blood of Joe Thomas and became <laughs> Joe Thomas as a left guard. But he got handled by Cam, Cam Hayward for a big part of that Ooh, contest. Okay. And this line that had been really strong and been like, the reason I believed in Cleveland was, their offensive line was the like the, the strong point of the team, which to me, that's a way to get through the year and pile up wins against lesser opponents, if nothing else. But they ran into their daddy. Everyone talks about it, big brother, little brother. This was like daddy coming home with the living room, a big mess, because Cleveland thought that it could host a week-long party or a four-week-long party. Um, and, and the Steelers came in and said, this is completely over now. And uh, it, it, this is a psychological matchup too. Um, it, it starts with the team. I don't care about these younger players saying, we don't care what happened here. It just seems to be almost like um, the hauntings of like an Indian burial ground. Yeah. Dan Hansis, our co-host likes to say <laughs> about that. I mean, it just, it just feels that way to me. And so much of that mixed into this game. And you ran into a team that I think is a Super Bowl contender. And yeah. Cleveland is one of those teams that's like, Hey, let's go win nine games and try to grab that seventh wild card spot. I'm a little bummed about the Devin Bush injury with the Steelers because I, I mean, they were looking really. I think they still could be good, but and you have the Chandler Jones injury with Arizona. I, I I'm like a big, and I think you probably are too, a fan of like elite defense, like defensive player of the year types. When a guy is just going off to the next level, did you like Buda Baker for the Cardinals on Monday night? I love when a safety goes off in prime time. I'm a huge Brian Dawkins fan, for example. But. Yeah, like in there, we're in this world where I, you know, I think that people are debating the value of safeties and, yeah. and, and how they're used. And I get that. But someone like Buda Baker, I mean, who completely wreaked havoc and just takes over a game the way he did last night. You knew that thing was over, you know, minutes in and he's treating Ezekiel Elliott like a ragdoll. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was a huge Brian Dawkins guy and there was an era where it was Troy Palomalu impacted games so heavily. Ed Reed, you know, it was like a golden era of safeties. But I do agree, like, you know, come draft day, like they always kind of fall. But then Derwin James, he's like that guy, but he can't say healthy. That's another guy. And Nick Bosa. I'm really mad that these I, I, I want to be that guy who's like, I want to say to Dan, hey, have you considered this defensive guy for MVP? But they keep falling this year. Yeah. No, no. And in the Chargers, I mean, are still fun to watch, you know, stripped of all these like superstars, you have to wonder if their record would be flipped if Bosa and Derwin James were on the field. Absolutely. Okay. You threw out a poll on Twitter this morning. Who do you trust? And I love this question. The Bills, the Browns, the Raiders, and the Colts. And it's great because they're all at exactly the same level of, oh, I'm so into, oh, I don't know. Uh. So uh, I'm not sure who won the poll, but how would you answer it? Well, I think the Bills are kind of running away with it. And and I, I, I would say that each of these teams like have sort of a fatal flaw. You watch the way that Kansas City kind of changed up their attack and just ran over Buffalo. That it's like, I, I guess the question is, what do I trust them to do? I think I trust each of those teams to potentially get into the playoffs and get waxed. The Bills are the one <laughs> team that could get weird. Like a weird Bills game, they could probably hang with almost anyone in the like a wild card round. So in, a, in the end, are, have they taken a step from last season where they got in and they looked really, really juicy and then they have a terrible second half and lose to the Texans? That's kind of how I feel about all these teams. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think the Bills have lost four straight wild card games, 10-3 to the uh, 
to the Texans. And also, the Texans, even at 1-4, and four, I guarantee we'll see them the first Saturday of the uh, playoffs. At the, the early game, that's always the Texans, right? You have to ticket them for that. I mean, yeah. we, at this point, we know that will be... I mean, you can just certainly buy... You could buy a seat to that if we were allowed to. But, uh, they, by the way, if they'd won that game over the Titans, like... They could make a. They could have made a run, but I. I'm kind of a Deshaun Watson fan. I was very disappointed in them. Did you know they were going to fall apart? No, I didn't. But I think that looking at their schedule out of the gate, yes, it seemed yes. like you know. I, clearly, Bill O'Brien has clearly annoyed a lot of people, and he and he annoyed someone in the schedule making office. It's a very secret operation <laughs> there. Um, yeah. But to give them what they gave them out of the out of the you know out of the shoot was uh, really brutal. And and they are a good team. But I think that was kind of putting them at their level. You're not at the Steelers level. You're not at the Ravens level. And by the way, here's the Chiefs. And so it's like you're going to find out real quickly what yep. tier you belong to. And 0-3 is good enough to say goodbye to the head coach. Okay, you had another poll on Twitter that I liked. Your QB on a two-minute drive in 2020, all rosters being equal. Phillip Rivers, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, or Carson Wentz. Now I see Carson Wentz is winning. Who is your vote? I... I I would I would eliminate Baker and, and Sam Darnold due to like the sample size, kind of what we're talking about being erratic and concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd have to go Carson. I don't again. I like I try to make I try to give selections where each of them give you tremendous pause. And I got a lot of people saying none of these guys, and I get that too. But Carson Wentz, in theory, would not be on the Eagles in this poll. Right. They'd all be on an equal team, and Carson Wentz wouldn't be playing with. 80% of his offensive line and roster, you know, in hospital beds right now. So the overall Carson Wentz experience, that's my pick. Yeah. And the receivers, I, although I love Travis Fulgham, John Hightower is like, now the thing about Carson Wentz, in my opinion, when he runs, the, the he'll, you watch him in the fourth quarter, watch him at the end of last season. When he's like, I'm going to risk my health and run, he's very hard to stop. That's why I'd give him the edge over Rivers. I don't know about Rivers this year. I can't, I, you know, I know they beat the Bengals, but they're not, I, Every week, Dan comes in because he's kind of into the Colts. He he won't admit it. We're all like, we love Chris Ballard, the GM. We had so many, but like, talk about a guy you don't know how good he is. Where where do you stand on Philip Rivers? Well, I think we're seeing what what would arguably be the final season, and and it is the hard thing is is because these quarterbacks are in our life. Uh, I can go back to you, like you know, my like your your early twenties or something. Yeah. And Philip Rivers has been part of our Sundays, and he never he's like doesn't miss a game, so he's been part of our Sundays for decades, and he's sort of woven into the football experience. And so it's really hard. I really struggled with the 2010 Brett Favre year, where mm. you're watching this guy that I thought was sort of the last sort of man that we had at <laughs> one point, right? And like. He's just falling apart before your eyes, and I don't feel that way about Philip Rivers right now. I think he can still um, he can still do Philip Rivers things that make you believe, but it's it's at a lower overall value. And I, I they're banged up too in terms of like their skill players, so it's hard to get a total read. But everyone sort of said you're going to put him behind this great offensive line. Yep. You know, Jonathan Taylor's going to be Rookie of the Year type guy. He's not been. It's just not gone as well overall globally for that offense. And Rivers to me is not a guy right now that can come and save that despite the environment. So I'm a little down on them. And I kind of wonder if they aren't thinking behind the scenes, we got to do something else at quarterback next year. And Phillip rivers is not tenable for 2021. Yeah. But you know what we do though? We go so week by week, like coming into the Packers bucks game, it was Tom Brady. Can't remember what down it is. And Aaron Rodgers is having his best season ever. Then we just completely like, and it's not you or me. Well, it is. We're all guilty of it. Yeah, and ESPN and NFL Network and 
But it's just crazy. Like they turned the ship around like so quickly and don't acknowledge that we said something completely opposite the week before. What's up with that? Well, that that actually truly annoys me because I think I think things like Twitter, uh, where everyone who covers sports is watching the same football game yeah. and, you know, li- you know, putting out the same commentary and the same jokes. And I think that the group think happens so quickly and it can be very magnetic because then you get these like tape jockeys that put out things that either, you know, emphasize what you believe. Um, and there are only a few people that I know that confidently really, really go in other directions with certain players like I. For me, like I'm not going to jump on the Tom Brady four fingers thing, but I will jump on like four four weeks of like Philip Rivers not playing well. But then to your point, he'll have like a hot month and like everything that you've said will be lit on fire. So it is like if anyone really wanted to look at what most of mm. us analysts sort of say um, on a day to day, week to week, month to month perspective, you'd realize you're actually just guys that were like a couple of years ago, sitting on <laughs> bar stools, chatting with each other over beers. And you, and you, you might be more credible because of the office you work in, but the opinions are variable. Uh, speak for yourself, Mark. I all night, the bleary eyed watching all 22, you know, uh, you're a different kind of guy. And- yeah. Well, you know, when, because I played the game, uh, when I say I played the game, I played Nerf uh, two hand touch until seventh grade, but that got too violent for me. That checks out, though. That yeah. checks yeah. out. Uh, okay, I want to talk about your podcast around the NFL. I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. So uh, let me just give my impression, my impression, my uh, sort of impression of each guy. Greg Rosenthal. Let's start with him. Greg Rosenthal, very popular, very smart. Has anyone ever got more excited about coordinators in the NFL media than him? He had me convinced that Todd Monken was going to rewrite the record book. I think he was in Tampa Bay, the offensive coordinator. Is that like, and he keeps going back to the well. Like now it's Todd Bowles, I think. Like that dude just loves like talking about coordinators. I think Greg, like he loves his coordinators. He's been on the Todd Bowles thing and he will, and he'll stick with it too. I'll give him yeah. this. He'll, he, he's committed to the, committed to these guys that he falls for. Um, I don't know anyone that like loves football as much as Greg. And there yeah. are times in a football season where you get into these November games where like two trash bags are playing each other on like a one o'clock spot on Sunday. And you're thinking there might be something better I could do with my life. Greg is still like way into that game and um, yeah. very annoyed if the coach doesn't use the clock correctly <laughs> in the final minutes of like the third quarter. So that's Greg to me. He's just football obsessed. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the story uh, you mentioned, I think off air, I was visiting, I have a good friend at the NFL Network, uh, Charlie Uke, and I, when we're in L.A., I go and sit in his office and just hang out. And I was walking out, and you and Greg, I don't know if you remember this, you were having like an intense conversation sort of by the NFL Network uh, cafeteria. And I walked in, and you guys were like in the middle of something. Do you, you remember that moment? Do you have any idea what you might have been talking about? I don't know what, you know what, I, I totally remember the moment because... We both recognized you, but I'd never met you. Yeah. And so, and I, you know, as a big, like Dan Patrick listener, it kind of, I was like, what? It, yeah. How is, what? How, what's he doing here? This is great. But I'm also having this chat with Greg. I think it might've been about something that I probably shouldn't share on air. I'm just not clear what it was. Um, but we tried to do our best to, you know, wriggle out of that mindset to suddenly chat with you. But I, yeah. it probably put us... You know, we, we generally could be probably awkward in conversation anyways. I at least say that about myself. And it, it just heightened, it turned up the volume on the awkwardness for, uh, oh. from our angle. So, Well, you know, I'm an East Coaster and the valet situation when you're a guest at the NFL Network is so confusing to me. I was in a state of panic already. Okay. Uh, okay. Chris Wessling, uh, who's awesome. I'm sort of social media friends with Chris. But Chris, my one fault is he sort of 
he let go of his Bengal fandom to some degree, and I sort of took it over on a national platform. Like, do you sometimes criticize Chris for not really believing in his Cincinnati Bengals? We got into it once. Um, here's what I would say, because, you know, being a Browns fan, and, and, and Cincy and, and Cleveland have had shared awful histories. We got into it once, um, but I kind of I kind of let that go because Chris also has this like four thousand page binder filled <laughs> with documents inciting like Mike Brown and his running of the team, and I was kind of like, Chris, I learned is a he's a research guy, mm. and when he comes to a conclusion, um, he he is very convinced that his opinion is his opinion and it's going to stick. Yeah. And so there, I wasn't going to win the argument. It's kind of like, Hey, I want you to go vote for this person to someone that's going to vote the different way in yeah. 2020. Like there's no convincing. So um, with that, I let it go because the other side of Chris is like probably my favorite drinking buddy of all time. And yeah. so I was like, there are 25,000 other things we could go discuss other than him leaving the Bengals by the side of the road. And by the way, I mean, I don't think he was wrong with his decision in terms of enjoying football more from a different angle. Yeah, I love too when you guys know that you say something that's going to make him go, oh, come on. <laughs> you did that this week. It was great. Uh, Dan Hansis, the host, very smooth. I would say Dan is smooth. I, I think he's completely, I don't even think he's a Jets fan. I think he's making this all up. I think it's just a bit. He's like, as you, he's a one joke guy. I mean, come on, we know you and your dad like the Jets. Just expand a little bit, Dan. Or maybe he's a guy who should pick a new team because I think he's got enough mileage of the Jets being bad. And you can tell him I said that. I have met his dad. Um, his dad came came with us to a Super Bowl week once, and his dad is like one of the most fun dads to ever hang out with. Okay. And he is a diehard Jets fan. So I, unless the act goes up a generation, and his dad is also like a like a Stanislavskian actor who is pulling this off in real time, I have Possible. to buy the Jets fandom. I think it's I think it's real, and I've seen Dan. You know, sometimes um, maybe after like a Thursday night loss in the past we'd have to come back into the studio from being at home and he's got the hat the jets had over his mm. eyes and he's maybe had the tito tito's or soda or two <laughs> and they've been crushed and i see the the pain and the hurt um and i understand it as a browns fan too so unless he also is one of the earth's great actors i have to say that the jets um pain is legit does he think he can sing i think he does i mean yeah. i think he can i think he yeah I, it's like a little sinatra okay yeah, we'll we'll cut that out in case Dan is listening. Uh, and then your producer Erica Tamposi. I hope I'm. Yeah, like the the running gag that I like with her is that she's probably too good for you guys and should be doing something with Daniel Jeremiah. And I I hate to say it, every time she chimes in, she's pretty good. Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, so you guys are okay with the fact that you sort of outkicked your producer coverage a little bit? Oh, I think we definitely did because. Um... Every, we've had like 22 producers because yeah. a lot of times they're not full-time people. And so she's also been our longest running producer. Um, they're not all equal on air. Like there are some, and I mean, some are just technical wizards, but yeah. in them coming on and riffing for 15 minutes, wouldn't be the first bullet point you'd add to their, like their value set. Yeah. Um, she can do that and she can throw it back in our face. And uh, she is a, she came to LA as like a filmmaker. Mm. And so she makes these incredible, like, little social media clips. So in every way, um, have we gotten more than we expected? Yes. And will she leave us as soon as a better opportunity comes up? I don't know, but I, I think that she's getting more juicy offers than any of us are. Yeah, no, she's very good on air. I was just say you might want to, she's kind of making you guys look bad. Don't, don't take that personally. Uh, that was completely indulgent. I've actually like, because I have listened to your, uh, 
podcast for a while, and I love it too. And now, and you sometimes, and I don't know if I remember you doing. You'll go into these like three minutes sort of long, like sort of verse poems about like uh, an apocalyptic scene on the streets of Shaker Heights or something. Uh, and I think uh, you have to, if you haven't heard one of Mark Sessler's bizarre left turns on the podcast, and I think to myself, I'm like. Why is this? This is not NFL Network. I think NFL Network is like, this is a building full of meatheads who break down X's and O's. Do they know that Mark is doing a comedy bit for four minutes and quoting like, like, um, so, you know, T.S. Eliot? Like, do, are they aware of what's going on here? Or are they just not listening to that part? I think we're, well, I think we're very lucky that um, for a very long stretch of time, no one on the, you know, that building, you've been there is three floors up on the yeah. third floor is where all the executives are in their, in their oh, sure. wonderful offices. Um, none of them listened to the show for a very, <laughs> very long time. I, because I think some of the stuff would have, um, would have gotten on lots of radars and there would have been like, I just don't think we, we appreciate your work, but I just not sure why you're here. <laughs> yeah, uh, that probably would have been the response from many. So, well, you know, that's the story of my career, Mark. You know that the reason I like it too is like I could be in the bullpen with you. Like I wasn't. I was at SI.com for a decade, have the same exact relationship you guys have, because, like you said, I mean, we're in sports, but it's not like you know, we're not like we don't know anything about the game that anyone else doesn't really do. We at this point, especially. There are professional. There are like guys who gamble and play intense fantasy football that probably know ten times what we do, but we just happen to be on air, right? Well, I think like you know, in listening to to Dan Patrick as I have for years, where it's it's really strange or out of body to, to I think when I saw you in person, for instance, because you developed this like relationship with radio, especially and radio shows where there's a they, when I when I'm feeling stressed or something, I'll get in the car and I'm listening to that show. It brings me back to, it gives me some comfort. And I've heard from a lot of people with our pod too, that like, hey, you know, it's what I do when I run, or if I'm having a down day, a couple times the shows help me out. That to me means more than any of the other stuff. And so I've always thought versus being like, if, if the job was to be the, the most rock solid expert, well, probably the best route would have been for me to go play a lot more like high school, college football than I did, which was like, <laughs> you know, eight snaps, just really learn the game. And I do want to learn the game, but I always admired the people that made football fun and dramatic. Um, I grew up with WFAN. I grew up with NFL films and just radio yeah. and television in general from a bit of a different age. And so I think that kind of instructs where I go and probably one of the only ways I could go. I couldn't turn, if someone said, we're, we're killing all this business of enjoying this, I need you to be kind of technical filing plays, giving me film breakdowns. Like I probably would find something else to do that would allow me to have fun with a different subject matter, which I think separates me from some people that just love football more than life itself. I feel like your podcast, by the way, does get a lot of play. I don't know, like you might not see it from inside. Like I feel like there are certain certain football podcasts. And the, the problem is the podcast world has gotten very crowded lately, as you know. But I feel like there are certain go-to ones that people talk about. Uh, I love, I, I listen to our friend Will Brinton in the Pick 6 podcast. I don't know how that does. I happen to, I love the chemistry of the part of my take guys. I think like, it's funny, but I, I feel like even if you don't know them, it's like your friend talking football. And I think the Dan Patrick show does that to a large extent too. And so you don't, you guys don't feel any pressure to ever be like, bring on an analyst and just be X's and O's for a half hour. Well, I think that we, I think the thing about our show, I mean, number one, there's so many podcasts and we, I, I sometimes cannot believe that we've lasted as long as we have. We've done like, I think 1200 episodes at this point mm. or something and been going since 2000. 
12 or 13. Um, but the, the reason it works is because if it were all like gags and bits, I think you'd lose a certain cra- football crowd. Yeah. Um, but we, we all do watch every game. Yeah. And so I think the way that we filter and see the games might be different, but we're putting the work in number one. It's like, there is no mailing it in, but I, I look at someone like Chris Wessling and if you read his, he does a QB index every week. Yeah. Um, and he's been doing it while battling cancer and it is yeah. some of the most engaging insightful writing around. And so we have, I think, varying different talents. And I'd put Chris up there with anyone in terms of what he's seen. And that goes back to him having six other brothers and arguing about sports since he was born. And so I think like that's where some of his confidence comes from and yeah. his takes because he's been doing this forever. We all bring a little bit of different um, energy to it. And that creates conflict. I mean, I think like a show better have conflict. It better have laughs. And you better kind of, it's different if you kind of like each other off the air. Um, which we are lucky to, to have that be the case too. Um, so I don't know. It's all a mix of like, how do we get here? Uh, I can't believe we're here still. And in a podcast world, I mean, to last more than a couple of years is pretty unique and pretty lucky. Yeah. I mean, I think all four of you are writers. That helps too. I mean, I, your writing's excellent too. And yeah, I mean, I think we all root for Chris. Uh, and he's just like, you feel the... Even more so, you know, I know Greg's serious about, like you're saying, but like Chris's passion about the game is so, it just comes off the microphone. You totally hear it. Um, yeah, so I'm a fan. Uh, yeah, so, and I love that you praise the Dan Patrick show. You're in LA. You know, how's the pandemic been out there? Have you spent more time, less time in your car, right? So I assume you're at home a lot. It's that's a great question because it's like, I feel like a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people, hey, I used to listen to, this podcast or this show, but there's no commute. And I am home almost all the time. But with one of our children, he's doing remote schooling with one other friend mm-hmm. up in LA. And I live in Hawthorne, home of the Beach Boys. So it's, you know, it's about six or seven exits up the 405. Um, but that creates this space where when I go pick him up or drop him mm-hmm. off in the morning, that we listen to Dan Patrick together. We listen to Petros and Money, which is an LA yeah. show with Matt Money Smith. And we love both. They're both very different. But it's it's been one of the better things about the pandemic because my radio listening kind of just was not vibrant for a while. And it's become part of my day, kind of yeah. like when I was riding the bus with headphones on, you know, back in the age old early 2000s. Mm. So uh, that's been one of the better parts. In general, I think that, you know, when you get married and you have kids, you want you talk about quality family time. And I know some people that are just thriving off of this um, hearth and home 24-7 scenario. <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't put myself in that category. I think that, you know, there could be too much of a good thing and too much of me. Uh, let's start with right there for the rest of the members of the Sessler family. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. You have to pick one non person on your podcast to sit in because you just enjoy them the most. And I'm going to name some nice, because I, I know a lot of these people in the very, I'll give you Colleen Wolf, Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Bucky Brooks. Well, I used to work with Bucky. Uh, uh, is Lindsay Rhodes still there? She is super nice. She's not with the network, but yeah. she was a wonderful guest and she's yeah. doing a lot with fantasy football right now. So, okay. So like, who's the number one, like who's the friend of the podcast? You can only pick one. It, it's really, that's a really tough one, but we're kind of, um, like overtly rivals with move the sticks. Yeah. Bucky Brooks. So I thought that was a fun rivalry. I thought that was a fun it's fun. And I really, I, you know, I, I, you know, it's a right. I'll leave it just at that. Like there's, um, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, but we, I like Daniel and I like Bucky, Bucky's for the record. I won't speak for anyone else. Well, I mean, I'm, I'll say it right now. I mean, Daniel's his public persona, like off screen, he is a badass. Like I see like 
He put, gets off camera, puts on the leather jacket, gets on the hog, and just hits the road and beats up people. But that's what it, I'm hinting at yeah. a little bit that there's yeah. there's potentially two Daniels, and I think that yeah. you've you know I'll I'll, I'll I'll let your evidence stand there. I would I would go um, and if anyone is annoyed with me, I will live with this. Colleen is someone who has um, fit into the show perfectly well. True of others, but she's got a, her own little Colleen Wolf flair. And getting her on the show is um, unique and a treat at this point because she's superseded us in terms of recognition, fame, paycheck, sure. position in every way. So getting her on the show itself would be like nothing short of sort of a violent coup d'etat at this point <laughs> in terms of network scheduling. So, I, Mark, I really appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, I. We're rooting. Uh, if Case Keenum comes in, and I'm going to wear my Browns hat on Monday morning, it's going to be. It's going to be nothing against Baker. I like him too, but uh, I'm ready to jump on the Browns bandwagon. Is this the year? It's. I think it's the year to go. You know, nine and seven or eight and eight if the wheels fall yeah. off, and then and then focus on next year. Um, I mean, if Case Keenum is starting games, you'd have to say that the the plan has gone a little bit wrong, despite your friendship. So I I, I wish the best for him, but um. A little feeling a little bit different than from you on that front, yeah. but we'll we will see what the future holds. I tell you, Kevin Stefanski's offense and Case Keenum, it's worked magic before. It'd be nice if Chubb was back there for play action, but that's a whole different story. All right, buddy. Appreciate the time. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks to Mark Sessler, NFL.com, NFL Network against I'm sorry, around the NFL podcast. This is the Against the Grain podcast. I'm Andrew Perloff. Hope you enjoyed it. Marvin. You, you're on the Case Keenum bandwagon. You should get on it with me. It's fun, dude. In 2017, we almost went to the Super Bowl. Whatever. Just stick with your guy to it, then. You see where that goes. All right. This is Against the Grain. I hope you subscribe, and we will talk to you next week. Against the Grain. Against the Grain. Against the Grain.